Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey guys, it's time for the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta, your host. Studies show that financial stress is a big cause of breakups. Actually, the number one cause of breakups amongst couples just behind infidelity. It's no secret that cultivating a solid marriage takes time and work. No matter how much you love your spouse, trying to merge your lives and your money can be a bumpy but still beautiful ride. Well, we want to help you make that ride beautiful, especially now as we are gearing up for one of the biggest spending seasons of the year. Oh yes, Christmas is creeping up on us. Today we are going to offer tips and talk about how to money-proof your relationship with our special guests, personal finance expert Rubina ahmed Hawk. Hi, Laura. Hi. And one of my show regulars, actually. You're becoming a show regular, eh? Family lawyer and divorce coach, Leanne Townsend. Welcome, ladies. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Always happy to have you. So let's start with you, Rubina. How are money and relationship problems often related? So money is what gets us the things that we want in our life, the kind of house we want to live in, the kind of car we want to drive. And if you're with a partner who is spending uh, recklessly, especially. Naughty, uh, naughty. Naughty, naughty. (laughs) And if somebody who you know has the potential to make more money but is not making the efforts to get out there and find a better job or pick up more hours or shifts at work, uh, you're going to start to argue about that because people can very quickly start to feel like they're being taken advantage of when it comes to money. And this is true in all relationships and especially true in romantic relationships because you can see for yourself uh, you know, what that person is doing to hinder all your money goals. And so that's why it's really important when you get married or you get into a relationship where you will be sharing your finances that you find someone that has the same money values as you. So if you like to if you like the finer things in life, you got to find someone who likes the finer things in life so that you can figure out a way to afford that lifestyle and that person is not going to be criticizing you and you won't be criticizing them. What's the worst is when you get a really frugal person and a super saver, or sorry, a super spender together and then they just constantly butt heads over everything like why'd you buy the posh bread? Why didn't you buy the cheap bread? Why'd you take the bus? Why- why when, not just buy things on sale and then, you know, compromise? Uh, Happy medium. Without a doubt. Because you're not going to change the mentality of the person that likes to spend a lot of money. If I mean, if you like Gucci, you like Gucci, but maybe get the Gucci on sale. Well, okay, so if you speak to me, I would say the Gucci on sale may still not be worth it. You know, oh, you got it for $2,000 rather than $4,000. I mean, that might still be something that the person who wants to save for a better house say the partner in the relationship is saying we're saving for a better house and you're buying $2,000 on sale Gucci yes that's going to cause a problem so we do need to talk about money early on in a relationship Uh, how early in a relationship should we start talking about money in your opinion so in my opinion as soon as you start merging your finances so you don't need to talk about it on the first date oh I think before that well I mean you'll have a good idea getting serious I think that you should start talking about money issues especially if you are owe a lot of money because that could change the dynamic in your relationship it could I mean there everyone is different in how they feel comfortable bringing up their salary or how much debt they're in but uh, you definitely need to talk about it um, as soon as you get engaged or you decide to move in together or you buy a property together. Anything that's going to merge your finances, you've got to know how much debt the other person's in, what their salary is, what their goals are 5, 10, 15 years from now, what they want their money situation to look like. Right. Otherwise... I think, that, I, I think that's too late because what if you've fallen head over heels with, with this person and 
it's three years down the road. Like, what are you going to dump them because they they're, so would they you bring tons it up? Money? Well, yeah. I agree with yeah. uh, uh, that when you're merging, like when you're going to live together or you're engaged, is when it's really important because that's when all the legal ramifications really start to flow. The lawyer and comes the in. The lawyer, now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so you definitely need to talk about it by then. Um, and uh, you know, it's an important gauge of how what how successful the relationship is going to be if you can talk about that before you you know enter into that phase but I think when you're dating it doesn't necessarily matter I mean you might fa- you'll fall in love but then presumably that could lead to the living together and the marriage um, when you you know you definitely need to get those issues on the table two against one not fair <laughs> okay why is it so difficult sometimes to talk about money though because uh, I think money really does make people feel like that is their status, right? So if you make a really big salary, people love to talk about that. You know, I'm making six figures, you know, or something like that. Or I just bought this condo for X amount of money because it gives you status. It makes you feel, you know... In control. In control. And so if your money situation isn't great, say you're not making that big salary that maybe your friends are making. Say you are in a lot of student debt because you didn't get help from mom and dad going to university, for an example. You may feel embarrassed about it because when you tell people you are bad with money or you're in debt or you don't have a great salary, people often associate that with not being very sophisticated or not being, you know, very much in control. And people don't like to admit those types of things. 100% agree. Leanne, this question's for you. Arguments over money and different spending habits are one of the major causes of divorce. How can this be avoided? Well, I think there has to be communication. And, um, you know, before you get to the point of that you're living together or, you know, considering marriage, you need to to communicate about what your money goals are um, and, and work as a team. Um, because it is, it's one of the things that people argue about the most for all the reasons that we've been talking about. Um, and I know we're probably going to get into this a little bit later, but that's one of the reasons why I, as a lawyer, recommend people get prenuptial agreements because it spells everything out very clearly beforehand. We're talking about how to money-proof your relationship on the Dating and Relationship Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta of singleinthecity.ca. We're talking about the impact of money on relationships and how to money-proof your relationship today with show regular family lawyer and divorce coach Leanne Townsend and personal finance expert Rubina Ahmed Haq. Hello, Hi. ladies. Hello. I want to continue our talk. We talked a little bit about this in the first segment, uh, just how to have the money talk early in a relationship. So now... Leanne, what if one spouse brings in more debt than the other, or even if one came into the marriage debt-free? Does this have any legal consequences? It does. A debt that you bring into the marriage is something that you yourself are responsible. So should the marriage um, break down and you end up divorcing, um, when you're calculating your what's called your net family property, your own debt that you brought into the marriage is going to be your responsibility, which of course is good for the other spouse. But aside from that, I mean, it's going to have an enormous effect on the household. If one party is saddled with a debt and they're having to pay off a debt and manage a debt, there's going to be less disposable income from that person. And, um, you know, that can definitely create problems uh, in the marriage. And whether the debt's even been, been disclosed, I mean, that would be the worst case scenario where you actually move in with someone and 
you know, or marry them. And then you've got debt collectors at the door. And even though legally you're not responsible for a debt that's in someone else's name, um, it, you know, it, it can have enormous repercussions on your, your household and your family life. And what if one spouse brings substantial assets into the marriage while the other spouse has absolutely nada? <laughs> same, same thing. Um, you, if How can you, they protect themselves? Well, if you sp- the, the law protects you to some degree without doing anything, just because assets that you bring into a marriage are something that you can deduct down the road if you do s- split up. Now, that's with a marriage. Um, and uh, it, common law is a little is different. I mean, it's still going to be your asset. Common law tends to favor the property owner. Um, you know, either way, whereas with marriage, when you when you get married, there is some because of the calculation of net family property, there is some, you know, equalization that goes on between assets. Um, but definitely assets that you bring in, you can deduct um, from any sort of divorce calculation. Uh, it's still like I think most just lawyers, make sure you have proof. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. You have to keep them separate and you have to make sure that it's tra- if, that it's traceable. So if you have it and then you go and you say you had $50,000 in a bank account and you decide to use it to buy a matrimonial home. Um, well, then you that the matrimonial home, it, it, because you put it into that, you're not going to have the same protection. And even if you put it into another type of asset that the family is using and you're mixing it with your spouse's um, investments or income, then you're not going to be able to deduct it. So if you do have assets you're bringing in, you need to keep them separate, make sure it's traceable. And it's also good to know that the income that's generated on those assets does form um, part of your your income and investments that can come into play when you are splitting up and looking at a division of property. And Rabina, how do we have that money talk with our our partner? What are some of the questions that we can ask to get that conversation started? Um, You have to make a specific time. Like I wouldn't recommend you bring it up just on the fly one day when you're feeling, you know, that it's top of mind. You should ask that person, say, we're moving in together, we're getting married or whatever the situation is. We really need to have a chat about our finances. And um, those that time that you spend together, you should be talking about not just the bad stuff like the debts and maybe your salary isn't what you thought, you know, your partner's salary isn't what you thought it would be, but also the good stuff like what assets you have, what your own financial goals are, um, you know, maybe, you know, any money that you you've saved away that that, that you could possibly then use to to buy a home together, all of those conversations. So it's about uh, making it priority. I think that's the number one, is that you have to make the money talk priority. It's the same as, you know, any other serious conversation you would have before getting into a uh, contractual agreement. Um, You have to have, you know, you can't just talk about the romance side, you've got to talk about the, st- the, the stuff that really makes the relationships work. And maybe work. pour yourselves a coffee rather than a cocktail. <laughs> or maybe a cocktail at the end to cheers your financial health. That might be yeah. a good idea. You don't want to be drunk going into that conversation. No. I was going to add, I think, too, like part of the problem is that money is not romantic, right? And people, they get caught up in the romance and they don't want to go there because can, it's can not a romantic Can money be romantic, though, if you have a lot of it? I think it can be, no? <laughs> well, and I think that, you know, okay, so the other side of it, say you meet someone and they've got a lot more money than you do and they're sort of sweeping you off your feet, right? They're, they're taking you to fancy restaurants. They're, they're doing things that you couldn't afford to do if you were on your own. You also have to look at they your... They generally re- call that a narcissist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but you have to also, I mean, I've seen this in front of, you know, in my own, in my own friendships. Like, I've seen people who, you, when you look at it from the outside, you're like, are you with them because of the I money? Always, yeah, but I always feel like the price to pay 
when that happens. Because money eventually. is power. That's my, right. My, and so I, when someone's doing that, I just think automatically it gives them more power they in do, the relationship. Yeah. And you're going to feel it one way or another. It's going to come up and it's going to be an issue because yeah. there's going to be an imbalance. Let's talk about having the merging money talk. <laughs> so, Rabina, you suggest that if you're planning a life together, make sure to have the merging money talk before you move in. What does this look like? You have to have one bank account. I mean, that doesn't mean you don't have your own separate accounts where maybe you might have a little bit of savings, uh, but you need to have one bank account that pays all the common expenses. So the utilities, the mortgage, all of that has to come out of one bank account for a number of reasons. One, uh, both of you have access to it. So if one person became ill or passed away or something happened, at least you have access to the account that pays the the expenses that run your life. Because so many times I've heard that one person has tragically passed away and the other person doesn't even know the password to get into the bank account um, that pays all the major bills and that's not a good situation secondly it keeps the you know it keeps things transparent so you know uh, if they're if they're taking money out you can see that on your own you can log in on your under your own profile and see what's happening in your bank account and then you're both putting money in so you can also see the kind of money that's going in um, it just keeps everybody honest so you need to if you are getting married especially or if you're moving in together you have to merge your finances it's like a small business you have to know what each of you are doing we're going to continue Continue with this conversation, merging your money, because I want to hear from Leanne after the break. We'll be right back. Global News Radio 640 Toronto, the dating and relationship show. Now back to the dating and relationship show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It's the Dating and Relationship Show Sunday night right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta of singleinthecity.ca. Joining me today is Rubina Ahmed Haq. She's a personal finance expert and uh, family lawyer and divorce coach Leanne Townsend. We're offering tips today so that money does not ruin your relationship. Before the break, we were talking about having the merging money talk. And I would like to hear now from Leanne. So, so Rubina's pretty much saying that you have to have one, at least one account that you guys both have access to. And Leanne, how do you feel about that? Uh, I, I agree with that. What, what I don't agree with, um, and I don't think that's what Rubina was necessarily even saying, because she said you could have uh, separate accounts too. But from a, from a lawyer's perspective, anytime people are merging everything all together, um, you know, it should things not work out down the road, then someone, you know, potentially who brought, who has more or makes more or brought more in is, is much going to be much more exposed um, in the time of a, a divorce. So what do you suggest? Uh, um, well, I mean, I, I suggest having the common accounts to pay, the, you know, the household expenses and that money goes into that. To, and certainly it's important that both people have equal access to it and all of that. But um, if you, you know, ha- if there is a substantial imbalance in what you have and you want to protect yourself, if you come to me as a potential client, I'm going to tell you that you don't want to put everything, um, you know, into both parties' names. Um, and, you and you know, even before you got to that stage, you may want to get a, a pre nuptial agreement. Um, where it gets complicated too is when people live common law and they're not married because a lot of people don't understand that the property rights are very different at common law. So if you are in a common law relationship and you aren't merging everything together and you're keeping properties and assets and investments in each of your names, when you split up, what's in your name is most likely going to be what you get. So if one party has... What if you put in more money into, let's say, a home than the other person? Well, 
if the, it depends on whose name the home is in. It's and in both. If it's in both names, then you, it's a jo- if it's joint, you know, if you own it as jo- joint tenants, then you're you're both going to be entitled to to half the value. Right. Well, wouldn't you get back what you put into it? Um, not necessarily. What um, if one party puts in more money? Well, then you know, unless you have some con- uh, prenuptial agreement or marriage contract that's specifying, you could you run into issues with that because it's it's in a joint asset. Um, and again, with common law, like what, what you see happening is that one person, maybe for whatever reasons, they put most of the assets in that person's name. Maybe they were the main breadwinner. Maybe there's other reasons. And then you have the other, they split up and the other spouse has very little or nothing in their name. And suddenly they've got a problem because the, the assets are going to go to the person who has title. Ooh, Rabina. So what ha- can we can we hide money from our spouse? Is that a good idea? Well, I wouldn't hide money unless maybe you're saving money <laughs> for a big. They say that one in thir- one in three people hide money from their spouse. Oh, I mean, you hear stories all the time of men and women um, hiding purchases because I don't know how you get away with it because if you're putting it on a credit card or taking cash out of the bank, like isn't that person going to eventually find out? But. Um, maybe if you're making your own salary, then you're saying, well, you know, I had higher expenses this month and that's why I have to, um, you know, I, I can't give as much to the household, but really it's because you're buying things for yourself. Um, so how do you protect yourself? Women, especially, um, this is probably more of a answer for Leanne, but especially if you are a stay-at-home mom in a common law relationship, you really have to make sure you're protected because if that relationship breaks down, you may not have many rights. And say you've stayed at home with your the child that you have with the other person, um, all of a sudden you might be looking at a very different lifestyle than what maybe you've set yourself up with with your partner. Um, women live 10 years longer than their partners on average. And that's because we tend, in heterosexual relationships, we tend to marry men that are about five years older and we live five years longer. So women tend to live 10 years more in retirement than men. And a lot of women are finding themselves in their senior years for the first time paying bills, managing their money, figuring out how they're going to fund that vacation that they want to go on or or get their car fixed. Um, So women need to protect themselves from a young age that when the time comes that you've got to take care of your finances, finances that you know how to do it. It's not something that you're learning for the first time or relying on your kids who may not have the time or energy um, to give you to help you manage your money. Um, so that's why it's so much more important. Women, they say, and also we take time out of the uh, out of work to raise our kids and take care of our elderly parents. We work nine years less of full-time work compared to men on average. That's nine years less of earning that we can put our money away. So if you're in a relationship, you've got to talk to your spouse about, are you putting money in my RRSP as well? Because I'm at home raising the kids and I need to know that I've got money um, on the side for myself as well too when, when retirement comes. Leanne? I just want to say all of those are just such important points, especially, you know, you do see the situation of the stay-at-home mom who, you know, stayed at home all those years, and then she gets to be in her 40s or 50s, and there's a divorce happening, and she knows nothing about the family finances. She doesn't know where the money came in from. She doesn't know where it went out, and so, like, communication is so important, um, and also just being involved in the bill payment. Like, you've got to know, you've got to be seeing your partner's tax returns. You've got to be seeing their pay stubs, investments, credit card bills, like perhaps even take, if you're going to be at home, take over the actual process of paying the bills um, and and make sure that you have access to that information so that you are knowledgeable should something go wrong down the road. My best advice for stay-at-home moms is 
stay in the economy in some way. So whether it's working part time, uh, you know, one day a week, or becoming a consultant in the industry that you were in before you had kids, if you've got any skills that can make you money, stay in the economy so that you can keep up to date. And that's what's going to help you understand where your career is going. And so that when there comes a time where you have to work, if you have to work full time, you already have those connections. You don't want to be out of the workforce for 20 years and then trying to, you know, all of a sudden reinvigorate a career that's two decades old and your skills are out of date and you're thinking of going back to school and all the rest of it that uh, may not be possible at that time. Amazing advice, ladies. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about spending habits on the Dating and Relationship Show. We're talking about money issues here. You're listening to The Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You're tuned into The Dating and Relationship Show and we are back with family lawyer and divorce coach Leanne Townsend and personal finance expert Rubina Ahmed Hawk. Today we're talking about spending habits and spending tips during the holidays. Well, we're going to get to that. But right now we're talking about the impact of money on relationships. And I want to ask you guys now, do you think that the partner who makes more should contribute more financially or should everything be split equally between the two? I think that the person should that makes more should contribute more. So do I. Yeah, of course. Because I, I, I mean, I don't understand relationships where one person makes, say I make 80000 and my husband makes 160. Okay, let's just say we are really rolling in it, right? Um, why would he be banking half his money and living a, a lifestyle that is lower? Because I can only put what I'm making in. Um, so we obviously have to downgrade our lifestyle, live in a house that's maybe not as expensive. I don't see where that would make any sense. And so if you want to live the best type of life with the, your money situation, that means that the person making more has to contribute more. But there has to be reciprocity. The, the person who doesn't make as much money, maybe they're picking up other things that are contributing to the family household. Maybe they do more of the child rearing. Maybe they do more of the the, the family stuff. So it's not like one person is contributing more for nothing, it probably means that the other person is putting in um, effort in other ways. Where it gets complicated, though, is when it's a second or a third marriage, potentially, and there's children from a previous marriage. And so what one person is earning, they're also paying for children that maybe aren't in the household and aren't in the home, and they have other spousal support and and things like that. So that has to be factored in, too. I think that, you know, in a first marriage, it's much easier to to say that one, the person who makes more should be contributing more. But if it's a subsequent marriage, it's it's not as clear-cut. And people in subsequent marriages who been burned when they've gone through a divorce or feel that they've been burned because they've suddenly had their net worth cut in half, they're much more reluctant. And to, there are a lot uh, of those people. There's a lot of them. <laughs> I meet them all the time. And and they don't want to get they don't want that but to happen again. I'm surprised at the people that do get burned and then they get remarried again and then but they don't sign a prenup or anything and then they get get burned burned again again, (laughs) and then they might get burned again and i feel like they get burned worse the second time right (laughs) because maybe they marry for more superficial reasons the second time so that person and i agree with you i think that um if you've got other financial obligations it should be minus that i think my thinking is more that you know if you're bringing in three thousand dollars a month into the household and your partner is bringing in six thousand dollars a month to the household Um, after all the deductions, after everything that they have to pay for, maybe from a first marriage or their other kids, where is that extra $3,000 going? You're just banking it and then 
putting it on the side for what? I want to ask you guys this question, and this is just your own opinion. Do you think more people marry for love or for financial reasons? I think it depends on the age of the person. Yes. I think when you're younger, you know, you're in Gaga land, or, and it's, it's really truly about love. It's your first love. Oh, I'm so in love. I want to get married. I love this person. But as you get older... The older you are, the more likely you are to put financial stability ahead of love. So you might be head over heels in love with someone, but if you know it's going to be financial ruin marrying this person, um, you might not go ahead with well, it. Well, there's like the saying that the first time you marry for love, the second time you marry for money, and the third time you marry for compatibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about financial bullying now. So what if one spouse is working or one spouse earns a lot more money than the other and they initiate a power play and dictate how the money is to be spent? How can this be avoided? Well, definitely in abusive relationships, money is used to, to, as, a, as a financial, as a control on the other party. And often um, spouses who are uh, abusive in other ways, the, the financial abuse is a, a part of the relationship. So again, like early on, even when you're dating, you might see signs of that. What and, are these signs, yeah? Um, well, if someone is, you know, controlling in other ways, um, they may also be controlling in that way. So if you're dating and you're seeing signs that somebody wants to look on your phone and that type of thing that show that they or where were you and and that kind of stuff that show that they have a controlling nature those would be signs but you know also when you're dating um, I don't know I mean I'm single and I find when I'm out there in 2018 dating the reality is that most men like I, I grew up old school where the man would pay for the date but the reality is nowadays most men can't afford to pay for all of the, the dating and so um, if you're perhaps you know dating someone and they are always paying well that might be nice and seem chivalrous that might be a sign too. Well, Do you I find, Leah, because like, you're a lawyer, they might think, well, you're a lawyer, so you should pick up the bill. <laughs> like, I think that people think that way when they, they hear do. certain titles. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They automatically think you have money. But and I, you don't don't think, I don't think dating today, I don't think a man should pick up every tab. I don't think so either. I don't, and I don't think they can afford to. Quite well, it's frankly, it's quite expensive. Them. You out for dinner now in Toronto, and you can't go out for dinner to a nice place for less than one hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> So can you imagine doing that like once or twice every single week? I mean, that could add up, right? It's such a controversial issue. Like I always think when you go into who pays is such a, um, you know, it's it just opens up this whole Pandora's box of problems where people, the woman's like, well, he didn't pay and I didn't like that. And then the man, you know, is like, well, she didn't offer to pay. Well, I just don't think that women can assume that if they meet a guy online that he's going to pay for a fancy dinner on a first date. Because and the- you should just make it clear. I, like I think that the the um, the pressure is on the man to pay because we are we live in this kind of society where we expect that men are going to pick up the first bill. As a as a woman, you can easily say, "Hey, I'm um, looking forward to seeing you," and "Hey, we're going to go Dutch," and just throw that in there, and so that it, the pressure is off. Like the they know that the the date is going to just be about you two meeting for the first time, or how about and then just split it, for, or how about just going for a coffee or a cocktail, something something just, inexpensive, yeah. yeah but some know. men don't even want to pay for that when they meet a woman. Like I, I have friends who've been on dates, and oh my god, it's a know, one date wonder for me. <laughs> but you know what? But yeah, but maybe if he's not interested in the woman, but if he's interested in her, pick up the tab, like pick it up. <laughs> I think it's a huge turnoff if somebody invites you out, picks the restaurant, makes the effort to make all the arrangements, and then doesn't pick up the bill. Because if you wanted me to pay, then I should have had a say in where we were eating. Because exactly. maybe I can't afford that restaurant. Or maybe, you know, what the bottle of wine you ordered was out of my price range. You don't want to surprise somebody with an unexpected expense. 
We need to take a break. We'll be right back. I promise this time we are going to talk about spending. <laughs> we went off on a different tangent. We'll be right back on the Dating and Relationship Show. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We're talking about how to money-proof your relationship here on the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta. Joining me today is family lawyer and divorce coach Leanne Townsend and personal finance expert Robina Ahmed Huck. And I want to talk about spending habits now. Yeah, usually in a relationship, there's one person who is more of a spender. Yes, we all know that. And one of them is more of a saver. So what advice do you have in this situation? How can we meet the other person halfway? Again, it comes down to that open communication, having that money talk. If you're with somebody who is excessively spending and you are excessively saving, this might not be the relationship that's going to work out for you because you're always going to be butting heads about things like where you grocery shop, the kind of car you buy, the kind of house you buy, the decorations you put in your house. I mean, everything, you can always have the top end or the lower end. And if you've got, if you're with somebody who doesn't like to spend a lot of money, but you like those finer things in life, uh, you're never going to be comfortable with them spending money that way. But uh, you can meet halfway. You can make sure that, of course, all your major bills are paid, uh, that you've saved money in your RRSP, that your emergency fund is at least three to six months worth of household spending. So if the bottom fell out and both of you lost your salaries, you could survive paying your mortgage and your groceries and your kids' expenses for three to six months. If all of that is in place, uh, you know, both people have to compromise. You know, once in a while, let that person spend more money, even if you're the saver. I'm the saver in the relationship. My husband is the spender. And so sometimes I do get a bit annoyed when I see something on the credit card that I think is frivolous, but we've got all those other things in place. So I don't, I don't mind as much. If we were struggling to pay our bills and he's still spending money on things that they're not an essential for life, yeah, I'd have a big problem with and, it. And I'm sorry, but there are so many deals out there. You you never have to buy something without a deal, okay? There's warehouse sales. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, this Facebook, is true. There's Facebook. Although I'm the queen Facebook of just buying one thing full price and then that's it. Like I really, the sales, I can't do I, them anymore. I will only buy, oh, see, no, I will only buy something full price if I really want it. And yep. it, it's something that's never going to go on sale. Leanne? Yeah, I mean, I agree. But some people aren't like that. Some people do, some people enjoy looking for deals. and I love it. Yeah, but oh, not everyone does. Like, I some get people, a high. It's yeah. like my drug. Well, <laughs> and a lot, a lot of people are like that, but a lot aren't. And a lot don't want to be bothered or they, you know, view it as a waste of their time, the, the time spent doing that. So, you know, that's where it can be a, a problem with a, with a couple when one is more like that and, and you it's know, the other isn't. It's usually the women that like the deals. Although I met with a matchmaking client this past week and he said he hadn't, he said that he loved deal shopping. So, so speaking <laughs> of spending, one thing we're spending a lot on in this city of, city of Toronto is rent. And uh, I recently read how rent, because we were talking about bullying in the last segment, is becoming a way of financial control. Because if you, um, say you move into a condo and the, the, the rent is $2,500 a month, um, it's very difficult for a woman who might be in an abusive situation to leave because she cannot afford a, a, a place that is like that if she was to leave. Like she's reliant on her partner to pay that rent. So that's something to think about also when you're out there shopping for things like, um, you know, where are you going to live? And, the you know, you want to be sure that um, if you had to walk away from that situation that, uh, that you could afford to do so. So I want to talk about managing your bills when you're living together. Give us some tips. 
make sure they're coming out of one bank account so that they're transparent. Uh, set as much as you can up on um, automatic withdrawal so it's automatically coming out of that bank account and have a system where when you get paid, it's expected that part of that salary is automatically going to go into that joint account so that the bills are never, um, th- there's never late fees or they're never in arrears because there's always money in that account. Uh, you know, Again, having that communication and making sure that there's a constant flow of cash going into that joint account. And Leanne, there are so many couples out there that are just miserable, but they stay together sometimes for the kids. But what if they're staying together for money reasons? What advice do you have for them? Is there a way to make the transition without costing them a ton of money? Uh, I do think there are a lot of couples who stay together for money reasons. Um, So that's a very common situation because divorce is expensive. So, um, you know, people who are in that situation, again, communication is important if they can find a way to communicate more about money. Um, But there's some people who just, you know, they're in midlife or, or, you know, even post midlife and they reconcile themselves to the fact that they're just going to live with, they're going to continue in that marriage, but they're leading separate lives. And, that wouldn't be my choice of, of, of a marriage or relationship. But for some people that that works, if they do decide that they they want to split up, there are cheaper options too to, to, you know, legal battles. And, and so there's what are like, these cheaper well, options? Like mediation, Leanne? mediation is one, um, because you both parties can go to a mediator who can act who acts as an independent third party and can help them come to a, a decision on how they want to divide things. And then they go off and get independent legal advice, but it's much cheaper. And more and more people are doing that nowadays uh, than, uh, you know, hiring a lawyer and, and fighting things in court. So with the holidays coming up, let's talk about spending over the holidays. Yes. So with the holidays coming up, what if you just started dating somebody? How do you decide what to spend on them. Do you even exchange gifts? I mean, I think so. I think you should. It could be something small, but what do you guys think? I think if you have a conversation about it and, and agree on a like a budget or what you're going to spend, <laughs> it's it the beginning of a relationship. But it could just be a, a bouquet of flowers. Well, something like that is, oh, yeah, that's big. perfect. Yeah, something small. Um, to, like to, It's more about the thought, right, than the, the actual amount of money. Yeah. And I think, and I, I didn't mean to laugh at you like that. Bake them, bake <laughs> them, some, bake them some cookies. So Christmas bake them is in three cookies. weeks. And uh, I just want you to know that I'm going to spend 25 bucks on you. And you can spend 25 bucks on me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wouldn't do that. That's I tacky. Wouldn't do that. Not only would I not do that, I would break up with that person immediately with their lack of I guess social it depends, skills. Wait, I guess it depends. Let's, let's, like, it depends how early Well, that's what I was thinking was farther yes. along. It wasn't just I mean, the if, first few days. If you're dating dates. somebody for a month and you feel comfortable in, in say, having them in your home, you know, cook them up a nice dinner, bake them some cookies he should bring her some flowers some nice wine and it, it, it has to do with the way you feel, you know, like if you feel like, you know, I've been dating this person, even if it's a, sometimes we've all been there where the one week intensive, you know, you can fall in love in a week and it might just be, you know, the 15th of December, you meet someone and it's just 10 days away. You yeah, might until you really get to know them. Yeah, you get to, but you might buy them, you know, maybe there's a book they discussed that they really wanted to read. I wouldn't buy like a diamond bracelet or something insane like that. But something that shows that I'm listening to you and I care about this relationship regardless of how young it is. And I want you to have this because I really think that this is something that's going somewhere. And then next year, if they're not in your life, you're not going to punch yourself for buying a $25 book because that's usually in most people's budget to afford something that's small. And something um, thoughtful, I think, exactly. goes a long way. Like even putting together playlists for somebody that they like or like there's different things that are inexpensive that can be the done that show you really care. Yeah. <laughs> Good <laughs> ideas, great. ladies. We need to take a break. We're talking about spending over the holidays when we come back on the Dating and Relationship Show. 
You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. <laughs> okay, ready? Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. <laughs> You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta. We're talking about spending over the holidays and how to money-proof your relationship with family lawyer and divorce coach Leanne Townsend and personal finance expert Rubina Ahmed Huck. Spending over the holidays, that's what we're talking about. So how can we talk to our partner about the holiday budget? So this is controversial because sometimes you're with Over someone. Over some eggnog. <laughs> Over some eggnog. But I had this problem where uh, my partner had a large group of people he had to buy for and I had like two kids. It does great on a person if all of a sudden, you know, say your budget is 1500 and your portion is $200 for these two little kids. Maybe, well, not 200 $100 for these two little kids that you have to buy for and they're spending 1400 on, you know, these multitude of people that they have to buy for because it's an obligation. I think that is a very difficult conversation because they're not going to say, well, I got to buy for Uncle Sam and I've got to buy for Aunt Sue and I've got to, you know. And yeah, it, can, it can be very easy. Again, sales. Get things on sale. Well, it's not even about sales because even... Even if you buy stuff, say it's $20 each, okay? Let's go really, you know, very frugal. $20 at 10 people is $200. Yeah. And say you're only buying for two. So you might feel like I only spent 40 bucks and you spent $200. I mean, the the ratios are off. You might feel a little bit. Sometimes life isn't fair. This is true. And this is where those, you know, know, merging your finances, if you're merging all along the way, it all balances out. If you're marrying into a family, a big family, then these things are just expected and just get over it. Sorry. I think it can be a source of friction. Like I know in my own relationship, my ex-husband had a huge family and I don't. And I was expected to pay, you know, 50% of the cost of, you know, all the Christmas gifts for the the, the, the siblings and nieces and nephews. And, and I, they were all great people. I, I loved them, but it got, you know, it was expensive. And then my family was very small. So my ex didn't have to contribute that much towards my family. So there was a big imbalance there. So most surveys show that we are spending more this year than years prior, and many are willing to go out into debt to satisfy their holiday shopping. A Manulife survey that was just released says that 60% of Canadians are willing to put themselves in debt to buy presents. I'm not one of those people, so I don't get it. Why is this happening? The holidays are a very emotional time. We all want to look and feel as if we are being generous, especially if, you know, that person has done something big for you throughout the year. Uh, this is the time where we feel like we want to give back. And the last thing you want to do is look cheap at Christmas. And so to satisfy the holiday list and the gifts, uh, the, the surveys that are out there, the gifts are just one small portion. The other portion is travel. So we are getting on an airplane and flying across the country to have Christmas dinner with our family. And that's costing us hundreds of dollars to do so. And and another portion of that is just entertaining, having people over, the the alcohol and the special kinds of food. I mean, cheese alone. I've spent 50 bucks on a cheese platter because, you food know. Food is expensive. Food is expensive. And so um, the holidays do, you know, and you walk into a mall, you feel overwhelmed by all the things that you want to buy. And my best advice for anybody um, is do the mall shopping once. Just go once, get in and out because 
Every time you step into a mall, research shows that we spend about $100 because we are so tempted by all the things around us. And that is even worse during the holidays because everything is the must-buy toy, make your partner happy, show her you love her. It's really, really overwhelming, the marketing. Everybody's going to think I'm cheap, but I'm not cheap, people. And listen, I do really splurge on food. The holiday party issue, too. Like, if you get invited to a lot of different um, holiday parties, you have to bring a hostess gift. And that can add up. And then just the other point I was going to add about the you know running up your your budget at Christmas is when you have children, it is hard. Um, you know, you especially they want particular things for Christmas. Their friends are getting all these things. It's all the rage. Every you know every eight year old has this. Every sixteen year old has this. Whatever it is. And so I think as a parent, you sometimes feel that pressure to okay, I'll you know I'll get it. I they'll be the only one of their friends who doesn't have it. Well, I think it, yeah, it's important to take care of your family first though before anybody else's family. Yeah, and I think it's also important from a very early age to instill in your children that material things are not the be-all and end-all. So, for example, uh, a lot of my my uh, daughter's friends are doing Elf on the Shelf. Now, I know the Elf on the Shelf doesn't cost a lot of money, but it's just an extra thing, A, that I have to do every day, like hide that thing in my house somewhere. And it's and, annoying. And it's annoying. <laughs> and secondly, like then I have to purchase it. So it's not really the cost of the Elf on the Shelf, but it's more that it's just annoying. because... <laughs> it annoying. is annoying. And just because everyone else else is doing it it doesn't mean that you have to do it and so then that instills in her also the you know the things that her friends are getting just because they got those things doesn't mean you you have other things in your life like financial knowledge that your Wait, why is mother elf, is I've never had an elf you. on the shelf why is it annoying <laughs> because you have to every night you have to move it to a different location in the house because then when the children wake up in the morning they have to run and find where the oh, elf is they fly back to the North Pole and I don't know but it's become almost like a part of every family with kids at Christmas they have yeah. to have this elf on the shelf and you fall asleep too early one night and you wake up and you forgot like, to throw move it in the, the elf and the kids are all traumatized <laughs> yeah because okay. the elf didn't we move have, we have time for one more quick question. What are some other holiday no-nos, things that we should not be doing? Don't go over budget. Don't let emotion drive your spending at Christmas. So I'd say that's a, a big holiday no-no. Don't go into debt. Go, you know, use money that you already have that's in your disposable income. Don't don't run up your credit card bills thinking that come January you'll somehow find a way to pay things off. And don't make obligatory purchases. I think we have to all stop doing that. Like we all have to stop buying that obligation gift, right? Where I have to buy because they bought for me. Sometimes it's the one year where your friend doesn't buy you something. You're like, great, that's perfect. Next year, I don't got to buy for you. And we're just going to have a nice bottle of wine or we're just going to spend time together. Remember that when we used to do that? Um, That doesn't cost very much money. The Manulife study that you mentioned, it also talked about mental health and how much of an effect money problems have on our mental health. Health, especially during January, where we, you know, blue January, where people are susceptible to that. And then you got these big credit card bills coming in. So stay on budget, like Leanne says, and that's don't do obligatory <laughs> gift <laughs> purchasing. Well, that's it for today's show. Hopefully, uh, you, the listener, was able to learn something new from today's show and possibly be more mindful of your spending habits when you're in a partnership. Thank you, ladies, for joining us today. How can we get a hold of you? You can follow me on Twitter, always save money, or on my website, alwayssavemoney.com. Leanne? You can find my website at uh, leannetownsend.ca, or you can find me on Instagram at leannetownsendlife. And you can find me on Instagram, Laura underscore Bellotta. And also, I'm having an amazing New Year's Eve party that's going down in the books. Join a ton of sexy singles at the beautiful and trendy Kelly's Landing, located at York in front. Convenient location with hotels, Union Station, the streetcar, and the highway all at your fingertips for more information and tickets visit my website 
singleinthecity.ca. Hope to see you there. Ciao.